he gets a mouse every day, but we do give him vitamins mm -hmm. because, you know, if you ate chicken nuggets every day, you probably wouldn't be very healthy. Nomadic cowbirds and poking the puffballs. I like turtles. And lightsaber frog calls. Fresh sea leaves get filled with persimmon seeds. I'm from the Great Plains Nature Center, and you're listening to That's My Favorite, the podcast where we geek out with naturalists. No new five-star reviews, or four-star, or three-star, or two, or even one. So please, if you like this podcast, um, get on iTunes and give us a rating. Unfortunately, that's kind of one of the only places that we can get ratings on, um, and it really does help us out. So right away, even if it's one star, that's fine. But today, we have with us Deb, and I am Nicole. And what are we going to be talking about today, Deb? Well, we're going to be talking about um, one of my favorite birds, the American kestrel. Okay. In many of my other podcasts, I kind of introduce myself as an educator and then a naturalist. So my introduction to these animals at the Nature Center is relatively new in my life and uh, kind of exciting at the same time. Yeah. Uh, so I thought to introduce this bird, the American kestrel, I would start with a story about my early introduction to the animal. When I first came to the Nature Center, of course, I was responsible as an AmeriCorps service member for cleaning the cages. And uh, that bird that we had at that time, prior to the one that we presently have, was pretty amiable, but still would fly at you at times when you were cleaning the cage. Mm -hmm. And then I decided that I needed to become more comfortable with the bird so that I could take it out and use it for programming. And um, so I would put it on the leash and on a glove, um, which you need to do if you're handling birds of prey or raptors, and walk it through Habitat Hall to help uh, become more comfortable with being out in an open space with the animal. Mm -hmm. And it would usually um, talk to me quite voraciously. I don't know oh. if that's, is that the quite word? That's more for food, but very, very loudly uh -huh. as I would walk around the, uh, the habitat hall with its call that you commonly hear it making when you're here at the Nature Center. Mm -hmm. um, another introduction was, and it wasn't me, that <laughs> let the animal go in the lobby area, but it was flying around in the mm -hmm. lobby, and it happens. These birds are wily, and they're still wild, even though they're used to being around humans. And it was flying around the lobby and had settled itself. Um, if you're familiar with the Nature Center, and maybe Nicole can help me too, the lobby area is very open atrium-like area. I would say 60 foot to the ceiling probably. Probably pretty close. Okay, yeah. pretty close. But the animal decided to rest itself on one of the ledges uh, pretty close to the top of that atria area. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was just up there and we were just thinking about how in the <laughs> are we going to get that animal down from that area. And from outside, a hawk, I believe it was a red-tailed hawk, saw the little <laughs> falcon sitting right there on that ledge and banged into the window oh with and from the outside. That bird hopped right down to the floor and we had no problem catching it. So that was one of my uh, fun stories about the American kestrel. That's awesome. Yeah. Another time that I have seen them is when I've assisted, and that assisted is quite a, in quotes, with the Quivira Christmas bird count. And quite often we will see 
uh, the American kestrel and their typical behavior of sitting on the um, electrical lines mm -hmm. along the sides of the road. So that's my introduction to the American kestrel. How about you, Nicole? <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, yeah, I, I know for me, kestrels, like I've always loved looking at them because like you said, they're very common along power lines, like out in the country. They're about the same like size and shape as like a morning dove. So people just like assume that it's something not exciting, but like actually it's the smallest falcon in North America, which is so cool. And I just love, um, especially the males, they're really beautiful and they're little like, you know, the colors that they have are just amazing. Um, that, that really like rusty color and that like steel blue that they have is just absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of describe it as a slate blue, maybe. Yeah. I don't mm -hmm. know. But yeah. it is a beautiful color. You're oh, yeah. Right. It's, yeah. Like, it's like a gray blue. It's really, mm -hmm. really pretty. But, of course, the females don't get as much of that blue coloring, mm -hmm. but they do have uh, that rusty brown color that you talked about, as well as, well as kind of this spotting along their breasts and yeah. some striping as well, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. from I haven't looked at the female for a while, and we just have the male in, uh, yeah. on display. So. Yeah. We do have a female down at the Kansas Wildlife Exhibit. She's pretty flighty. I don't know that she's ever been used for programs not that i'm aware yeah yeah um, i think she's just but... always lived at the kansas wildlife exhibit yeah, yeah. and real quick okay <laughs> i have another story i don't know if you're aware of this but this one the one that we have right now actually got out the other day it oh was, no <laughs> and was flying around the atrium portion uh -huh. of the front lobby area and he landed up on the windowsill, oh way up in the top. <laughs> um, and yeah, I came in to like grab something. I don't even know what it was. And Erica is like, I can hear her just like panicked noises. I'm uh -huh. like, what's going on? And she's like, oh, Nicole, great timing. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, the kestrel's out. And I'm like, oh, gosh. Okay, that's okay. Like, I mean, he can't get out. There's no one here because uh -huh. the building's closed. Like, if there was ever a day for him to get out, like, <laughs> this is a good day. <laughs> so, yeah, she, she was kind of freaking out. I was like, it's okay. Like, we'll get him down eventually. He's going to get bored and get hungry. He'll come down. Mm -hmm. Or we have, like, a giant ladder that we can, like, scare him down with. So I put, like, a little blanket on the floor. And I got his mouse, and I was, like, showing him the mouse. And he was, like, looking at it, so excited. Yeah. And I, like, threw it down the towel. And he, like, perked up and was looking at it. And then he just, like, settled back down and started looking back outside again. And I was, like, okay. So I, like, tried it a couple more times. I would wave it around, get it really excited, and, and throw it on the towel. And he'd look at it. He's, like, oh, no, that's okay. And I had another <laughs> towel, like, in my hand so I could, like, throw it over him when he came down. Mm -hmm. But he was, he was not – he was not into it like yeah. he did not care at all he was much more interested in looking around outside but eventually we got him down i actually was on the phone with rachel mm -hmm. as this happened i'm like hey rachel our <laughs> you know local bird person mm -hmm. he really likes you maybe if you just come in he'll just like gently alight on your shoulder and like it'll be amazing but i was like what, what do you recommend she's like well there's that giant ladder i was like yeah anything else because i don't really want to deal with that thing she's like well and by the time you got <laughs> climbed up the ladder he would have moved and yeah yeah so <laughs> i was like on the phone and i was staring up at him and he's staring at me and i'm staring at him and then all of a sudden he takes off and he comes right from my face <laughs> 
<laughs> he was attacking me just right on my face. Mm-hmm. So I like ducked down, still on the phone with Rachel. I ducked down and he hit the top of my head and oh, like, and, like grabbed onto my hair. Uh-huh. And I was like, never mind, Rachel. I got him because he's actively attacking me. <laughs> uh-huh. um, so I just like put my hand up there and he got on my hand and then he was attacking my hand instead. And then I got a glove and got him on the glove and put him back in his cage and it was fine. But yeah. So yeah. I'm kind of amazed that you were willing to let me have him sitting <laughs> here. I just was thinking of him as inspiration for talking about the animal. And yeah. so- <laughs> he is here beside us as we're talking, but yeah. he's, he's being a very chill chill little guy today yeah it's kind of puffed up a little though oh he's just getting comfy it's kind of chilly in here you know (laughs) (laughs) but Uh, he does seem to have quite a a bit of personality and um, when we were talking earlier about their behaviors even though as I'm driving along and I'm looking for the kestrel uh, quite often these days I will notice then that it's a dove and mm-hmm. of course the the head is what gives it away usually but you have yeah. to be close enough to see it but they have a I think a very upright um, stature mm-hmm. and um, you know some birds when they sit on the lines they'll be hunched over and yeah. kind of rounded in their posture kind of like I have a ba- <laughs> have a tendency <laughs> to do but the kestrel to me appears to sit very straight up on the line, mm-hmm. and their tail will bob quite a bit as yeah. they're there. Originally, I had thought that was for balance, but I had heard Rachel talking not too long ago that perhaps it's a way of communication as well. So yeah. I don't know. but A little bit of both, maybe. Yeah, yeah perhaps. <laughs> Depends on how windy it is. <laughs> yeah, probably so. Uh, let's see. You remember, uh, talked about the coloring um, earlier. They're mm-hmm. not a very big bird. They're uh, probably, what do you think? <laughs> About 9 to 10 inches. Something like that. Okay, 9 to 10 inches. And their weight is only about 3.5 to 5 ounces. And just in case you're wondering if I ever put him on a scale, I did not. Mm -hmm. But I found this information in a a variety of resources. Our own pocket guide to Kansas Raptors, which was... uh, produced by Bob Gress and Vanessa Avara. And uh, then also I looked in the National Geographic Field Guide to Birds of North America was another resource. And then um, our own Bob Gress also, uh, along with Pete Jansen, published a book, uh, The Guide to Kansas Birds and Birding Hotspots, Mm -hmm. which uh, all three resources had some similar information, but it was kind of nice to check out uh, what other people were saying about the American kestrel. Definitely, yeah. Yeah. Might talk a little bit about uh, their breeding. The males advertise their territory by repeatedly climbing and then diving. And I think that's another behavior that is very um, characteristic of them, that diving behavior that you (laughs) saw firsthand. And the atrium in the uh, lobby area of our the Great Plains Nature Center and they will also kind of use a clee call Mm -hmm. and I don't know if he'll respond but I'm gonna get my phone ready here and we mean climbing on the wing because there are some birds that will climb up trees and kind of dive off of them oh yeah Um, like brown creepers they're one of my favorite but we do mean climbing like in the air yeah and then diving down yeah so let's see if we can get a recording of that so that you can hear the call of an American kestrel. His little head is bobbing around. (laughs) He's looking up in the sky. Yeah. Oh, and look at the tail bobbing, too. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So that's the call of an American kestrel. And while they may have some different calls, that's the one that I am most familiar with or mm -hmm. have heard on most occasions, especially this little fellow with that big open space. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> our lobby area really has a kind of an echoing sound yes. to it as well. And you can uh, hear it in most parts of the building when oh, he yes. really gets to go on. Oh, so. yeah. Especially if you like stick your head inside of his cage when you're trying to get him out mm -hmm. and he starts screaming at you, it just like echoes in there. <laughs> it's like, ooh. Yeah. Um, uh, the females, we hadn't talked too much about them. The male and the female might exchange gifts of food when Ooh. they are courting. And usually the male feeds the female the gift of food. Mm -hmm. um, they like all kinds of things. Um, insects, on occasion, we've offered the kestrel grasshoppers when they're oh, yeah. in season out from outdoors. Um, other invertebrates like rodents and birds and uh, grasshoppers, cicadas, beetles, dragonflies, I'm naming and all kinds of things that they might eat, as well as small snakes, lizards, and frogs. Mm -hmm. And here at the Nature Center, our kestrel is fed a mouse each day of the week, except for Sundays. Yeah. I always like to tell kids, he gets a mouse every day, but we do give him vitamins mm -hmm. because, you know, if you ate chicken nuggets every day... You probably wouldn't be very healthy. So we have to make sure he's getting his vitamins somehow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, because he belongs to that group of animals called the raptors or birds of prey, has some very similar characteristics that all of those animals have in common. Like you can see easily that curved beak that mm -hmm. helps him to tear his food into pieces after he's caught it with his very sharp talons. Then also he has a structure on his beak or um, near the roof of his mouth, a uh, tomila, mm -hmm. which is kind of like a, I call it a triangular shape that helps them to pierce the animal mm -hmm. to either break the backbone of the animal or to help them to su uh, subdue the animal that they have caught for their food source. Mm -hmm. Yeah, But most interesting to me, and I don't know if Nicole agrees or not, is their ability, although they're like many other birds, to see ultraviolet light. Yeah, And that helps them to track their prey. So if their prey has left a trail of urine behind, that urine then is emitting, I don't know if that, that's quite the right word, but ultraviolet light mm -hmm. is bouncing off of that urine, and this animal is capable of seeing that. If you look at a spectrum of light, and I'll put this um, in the notes for this podcast, we have light that we can see on the light spectrum, mm -hmm. which includes Roy G. Biv, or <laughs> red, orange, yellow, uh, G, let's see, did I say it? Green <laughs> and blue, indigo, and violet. Yes. Um, another way that you can see that white light really is not just white light is to take some kind of prism. And actually, I think I have a crystal or something at home that does this as well. Mm -hmm. But I also purchased a, a prism for programming when we do something with the American Kestrel. Mm -hmm. And if you'll hold it up to some light, then you can see that the white light is uh, divided actually into different colors of light. The ultraviolet is not in the visible light spectrum for the majority of humans. Mm -hmm. uh, although there are some humans that are able to see ultraviolet light. I'm not one of them, mm. but there are some humans that are. So they would be able to see, I guess, that trail of urine, just like the, the bird does, that helps them to follow yeah. um, the path to the animal that they're eating. 
Do you, do you know anything more about that? Like, why why can some people see that? Is it well? Like, I read it, but I didn't really. I, I didn't copy any information uh-huh. down. It has to do with the wavelength. Um, light has w- wavelengths, or what I think of it. I guess sometimes it's bouncing up and down off of things, mm-hmm. and um, the majority of us are only able to see that bouncing of light uh, radiation. Mm-hmm. Um, in a certain area or spectrum, just yeah. like some of us have the ability to hear higher or lower pitches, mm-hmm. um, or we lose that ability as we get older, we can't hear as high a pitches anymore, or maybe not as low a pitches either. Uh-huh. And so I didn't really answer your question, but <laughs> that's I guess that's what I'm liking in it, too. Yeah. So okay. uh, somewhat of an explanation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. but if you're interest, more interested in it, there are some scholarly articles that I kind of briefly went through <laughs> that describe these folks that can see ultraviolet light. Cool. But just has, I guess, probably to do with the rods and cones in their eye. Mm. Maybe they have more of one or the other uh, cones color. So perhaps they have more cones mm-hmm. than, than you or I might have if we're unable to see ultraviolet light. Weird. So that's my non-scientific explanation. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Ah, so can you think of uh, other characteristics of the Kestrel that I maybe haven't described? I know one other one I was going to mention. I always kind of think I've talked about most of the things, and then I, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. I haven't t- said anything about this yet. But um, one of the things is that they have these black stripings mm-hmm. right below their eyes, and I usually... Um, kind of ask people that I'm presenting a program to, have you ever seen any sports figures where they're kind of black mm-hmm. um, paint or they, I guess they have these kind of stick-on strips now that they put below their eyes and then what they're for. Yeah. So the purpose of those is, are you going to tell us, Nicole? <laughs> um, I, it, has, it has something to do with kind of uh, <clears throat> like helping with glare. Right, like yeah. That. So I'm predicting, and I don't know for sure, that that's the reasoning behind uh-huh. those black stripes below the kestrel's eyes. Because they are diurnal birds, they hunt during the day. And if it's really bright sunlight, then that glare is going to help not help, be very helpful in them seeing what it is they're trying to catch or for yeah. their food. <laughs> so having them right underneath their eyes absorbs the colors and only reflects then the light the what they're wanting to see Mm -hmm. and so i i think i said that right because i had to think about it again (laughs) that why it is we see particular colors so i looked that up to remind Uh myself that when i see the color pink of my phone here Uh it is reflecting back that color yes. and absorbing other all other colors yes i have to think about that every time uh-huh. yeah the science of color is really fascinating yeah. i've kind of gone on a couple rabbit holes into that yeah and i forget it as soon as i do it but it is it's really really cool like it's like because there's the stuff like the basic stuff like that that you learn uh-huh. in school but then like you can really dive in there and it gets weird yeah. so well speaking of weird we were talking <laughs> about that uh, the animal being able to see ultraviolet light mm-hmm. and there are some really wonderful images online, particularly of flowers that uh, people have photographed in black light, which appears to have that ultraviolet uh, absorption. Mm -hmm. Okay. Absorption. And I, you know, I could have copied off many different pictures, but they're, they're just gorgeous. Then you can look at those 
mm-hmm. anywhere on Google Images or any, if you don't, whatever search engine that you have, if you look under images, you can find yeah. some pictures of flowers being taken with ultraviolet light. And why do flowers have like a bullseye in the middle of them? Oh, well, I know Nicole knows the answer to do this. <laughs> it has to do with pollination, but I'll let you explain it a little better. <laughs> yeah, so um, flowers often have what are called like UV or ultraviolet nectar guides. And, you know, those flowers want insects to come and visit them. So they are doing as much as they can to entice visitors, whether that's smelling really good or having these floral guides. And sometimes they literally have like lines or arrows pointing into the middle of the flower. And in the middle of the flower, it it like glows in an insect's eyes. Mm-hmm. So it's literally like a bullseye on a target so that the, the insect is going right to the middle of the flower where all of the um, pollen and the nectar is so that you know the insect is getting a drink that's all the insect wants is a good drink but the flower wants it to also pick up pollen and then go to a similar flower and pollinate it so I love UV nectar guides they're so cool (laughs) yeah (laughs) but I'm thinking though that the little uh, rodents Mm -hmm. or voles or the kinds of animals that the kestrel is tracking probably don't appreciate having (laughs) their urine uh, have ultraviolet absorption in yeah. it so that they they can be found more easily. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to think of anything else that we could uh, say about the animals. Uh, like, for instance, um, they're similar to other birds of prey or raptors, that they have a very mobile head, I guess yes. I would call it that. Um, they have more vertebrae in their neck, allowing them to be more flexible mm-hmm. so that they can swing their neck around as just as quickly as possible to make sure that they are seeing the their world. Mm-hmm. And if you notice, um, the, this particular raptor's eyes are right on the side of its head, mm-hmm. which means that its better vision is out to the sides and mm-hmm. not so good right here in front of its face. And so he has to turn his head a lot in order to be able to see his world a little bit better and make sure that he there aren't any predators coming, mm-hmm. like a red-tailed hawk, which is much bigger than he is. Yes, so. much bigger. So it amazes me that you will see them sitting so um, on the lines, so in an open area so much of the time, because you would think that that would make them easy prey for Mm -hmm. larger hawks that might think they would make a good lunch too. It also means they can see them coming, so. Well, that's true. Yeah, that's (laughs) true. Yeah. Um, They have amazing hearing as well. I, they some birds, uh, owls, may have an ear drum lower on one side of their head and higher on the other in order to produce kind of a sound like um, if you've been to the movie theater and you think uh, as they start that with the sound commercial that they always start at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. Depends on which theater you're at and which sound system they're using, but yeah. you hear the sound go around the auditorium, <laughs> something like that. Yes. But, so, uh, but kestrels, as far as I know, their ears are level on their head. Yes. They don't have outside appendages like these things that we call pinna mm-hmm. that help to funnel the sound into our ears, but they still have exceptional hearing. So, And I didn't find a lot about their hearing. Do you know anything else about it, Nicole? I don't really. Um, yeah, I don't know a whole lot about the hearing. I know it's good, yeah. but yeah. 
So exceptional eyesight, too. Yes. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, exceptional eyesight. Uh, one program that I'd seen that Rachel had put together, she had like a lighthouse, um, mm-hmm. 80 to 90 feet in height. And it's my understanding that they're able to see something on the ground, maybe the size of a dime from that yes, height. So yeah. exceptional eyesight, too, which mm-hmm. is a good thing since they like insects. Yeah. And if they're going to be swooping down out of the sky to find some of their food, then that would be a, a good adaptation to have definitely and um i know that they also have we haven't mentioned this yet the little spots on the back of their head too oh yeah go ahead and tell us about that (laughs) those little spots um are actually fake eye spots so when he's looking you know forward then hopefully something coming up behind him thinks that he's actually looking backward and doesn't feel safe approaching him and possibly eating him Ah, so so he's pretty tricky all the way Mm -hmm, around mm -hmm. yeah Well, they're dynamic little birds, and I really have enjoyed getting to know the American kestrel. Mm -hmm. And just like now, he has just a lot of personality. I think I mentioned that earlier, is what I've noticed about the two uh, kestrels that I've been acquainted with. Yes. (laughs) Oh, I might mention though that the American kestrel is a protected bird Mm -hmm. uh, by the Migratory Act of 1976, I believe, uh, which means that uh, we have to have a special licensure to have this animal in our possession. And we also, if like um, I have a talon here to remind me to talk about how sharp their talons are, um, I have some feathers, a wing from an animal that died, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But in order for us to have those in our collection, we do have to have special licensure. And as an individual, you're not supposed to have their feathers or their eggs or anything, Mm -hmm. but you are welcome to take pictures of them and come here to the Nature Center and take pictures as much as you would like. Yes, so that's the best way to explore these animals in the wild as well. Yeah, ideally we wouldn't, you know, want any of our birds to be in captivity, but for, you know, various reasons, they ended up having to be under human care and they cannot be released. So all of our birds that we have here at the Nature Center are non-releasable either because of injuries or because they are imprinted on humans, meaning they almost think they are a human. So they have no fear of people. They don't really know how to hunt and find water and things like that. So they unfortunately have to be with us, but we take good care of them and they're fun to have around. (laughs) So that's the American Kestrel, and I hope you'll come visit the one that we have on display here at the Nature Center and get an up-close look. Yeah. He's a fun bird. He is. He really (laughs) is. People always love watching him because he's Mm -hmm. always very active. Yeah. Unlike our owls, which are nocturnal, so usually sleeping during the day. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But yeah, cool. Well, thank you, Deb. Yeah. Well, thanks, Nicole. I had a good time planning for this particular podcast. And good. I didn't get quite as carried away as I have <laughs> on others. So I think this will be a little shorter for our listeners, yes. those people who don't like to sit and listen quite so long. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Check out our show notes on gpnc.org slash that's hyphen my hyphen favorite. Thanks to our producers at Great Plains Nature Center. And if you enjoy this podcast, again, please, 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 please leave us a review. We'll always have more favorites to talk about because everything's our favorite.